0: Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On August 16th, 2016, 11 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holy Hound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was dog days. We heard stories about man's best friend, about enduring heat waves, and about fond memories of childhood summers. Brian R. Kane, won with his story about how his dislike of dogs began and how those feelings have evolved. Here's Brian.
1: I'm going to treat the first uh, 10 seconds of this story like we're in AA. Hello, my name is Brian, and I don't like dogs. I don't like them. I've never liked them. I would go as far to say hate. No, you know, I, do, I would say that, I do. I hate dogs. They're not, they're not very nice. I don't get it. I don't know why you have to follow them around and pick up their shit. I've never understood how you have a connection with one personally, all right? I don't understand how people will travel to Colorado to get them fixed. I don't, I have never had that connection to a four-legged furry thing in my life. I don't get it. And it all had to start somewhere. It started when I was four years old. I was standing behind a bar, because that's where you are when you should be four years old. You should be behind a bar at your parents' uh, friend's house because those friends are moving out of town. I'm four years old. I remember this. I remember standing behind the bar and looking at all the shiny bottles and knowing that I'm not allowed to have any because that's what mommy and daddy said. You're not allowed to have any. Um, And I'm like, all right, I'm getting sick from being behind this bar. So I walk out from behind the bar and I look up the stairs. Up the stairs is a dog, and that dog is bounding down the stairs. This dog's name is Ralph. He is a St. Bernard. He is somewhere over 100 pounds and he is much larger than four-year-old Brian. All right? And Ralph comes bounding down the stairs and does not stop, does not see little Brian and knocks me right over. And there's crying and there's screaming and Ralph has no idea because he's licking my face and doesn't realize that that's making it worse and worse and worse. So I think that's where it started. I think that's where my dislike of dogs started was when i was four years old and ralph ran me over on the stairs now we never had dogs growing up my mom didn't want one my dad didn't want mom my brother always wanted one but he was younger than me and we all got to tell him to shut up no we're not getting one now i get to go through life and pretty much avoid them my friends who have them i don't go to their house I just don't. I just don't go to Steve's house because I know that his dog is going to be there, and I don't want to be there with that dog. The first time I encountered a dog and decided, okay, let me see if I can do this. I was 22 years old before that happened, and this dog was About yay big. It was a golden retriever, but it was only like 10 weeks old or something. My friend, uh, your friend and mine, Thomas LaForge, who isn't here tonight, I'm sad about that, had gotten a new dog, America's dog. His name is Beckett. He lives on Beaver Street. He's one of the greatest dogs of all time, all right? But he was yay big, and he was this little shit, and he was running around the house, and he hopped up on my lap, and I said, okay, Brian, you can do this. And I grabbed him by the ears, and I said, listen, you, I don't like your kind but we're going to be cool. Okay. And then he fucked off. (laughs) Awesome. From this day, from, from that day to this day, I walk up and I see Beckett and he comes up to me and I can take a paw and I can pet his head. And for 10 seconds, we're cool. And then he fucks off which is the best relationship I can have with a dog. Now, I'm going to introduce you to a concept um, that I like to call price of admission. It's not my word, all right, but it's the price of admission to a relationship. Now, relationships have all sorts of prices of admission. All right? Some prices of admission mean that you, maybe you have a kid from a previous relationship and your partner, in order to be with you, has to be okay with that. Maybe it's some weird fetish. Maybe it's being non-monogamous. Maybe it's, I eat a ton of chips, and so you have to be okay with that in order to get into this relationship. Well, the relationship that I'm in now has a very serious price of admission for me. And that price of admission are called Henry and Hickory. Henry is a 35, 40-ish pound American Eskimo that has more fluff than any dog you've ever seen in your life. And Hickory is a Labradoodle who can stand up and put his paws on my shoulders. He's a large beast. All right, and in order to be in this relationship, my most successful relationship to date, which is pretty feckin' cool, all right, I have to be nice to these dogs. These dogs have to sleep in my bed. These dogs, I have to take them out for walks and they will drag me along the street. But let me tell you what, for the life of me, this relationship is worth it. And I found myself in the course of having to care for these dogs, actually caring for these dogs. Large Hickory was in a photo shoot the other day, which you will all see at some point. He had to jump off a dock, it was adorable. And I stood there, and I could not shut up about how proud I was that my dog got to this photo shoot and acted like a total pro. He jumped off that dock 10, 20, 30 times. He chased after the tennis ball the whole time. I'm sitting there. I'm like near tears thinking about how proud I am of this dog. I have been broken. And yet every morning I wake up and go, oh, Hickory, stop it. Henry, stop. You're too close. I am scared to death of them to this day. If they nip at the back of my legs, if they bark a little bit too loud, I am scared to death of them. But this price of admission was well worth it. And these dogs are the best four-legged fluffy things I've ever met. Thank you.
0: Brian earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Craig Milston. Craig told us about covering baseball games when he worked as a sports reporter for the Washington Post.
2: So my first job out of college was as a sports writer for the Washington Post. My mother was exceedingly proud. The reality was not quite as impressive. The reality was that myself and an entire cadre of other young people uh, like me, willing to work for next to nothing, ran all over the Washington metropolitan area, covering all manner of high school sports and other local things uh, for a very little space in the newspaper that hardly anybody except the parents of those kids would actually read. Um, I covered high school basketball, high school football, uh, high school golf, that's a challenge, Uh, I saw things, I saw games uh, with ninth grade girls basketball where some of the players on the court did not have enough physical strength to throw the ball high enough to clear the rim, uh, which of course did not stop their parents from yelling at the refs like this was the NBA finals. But the creme de la creme assignment for uh, the low men on the totem pole like myself was minor league baseball. There were several minor league baseball teams in the Washington metro area. One was the Frederick Keys, another was the Prince William Cannons. And we all wanted these assignments. For one, these were professional athletes. But the reality is that was not really the draw. The draw was Frederick was pretty far and Prince William was all the way down in Prince William County in Virginia was pretty far. And the reality is we made more money in mileage than we actually got for writing the stories. But even better than that, they would feed you in the press box also while you were there. And these were the easiest assignments ever because we were again allotted something in the neighborhood of three to four column inches in the newspapers. We're talking like this. Which is really—I mean—it's barely enough to say the two teams that are playing and the score. There was nothing else to do. There was no sense in trying to get quotes or develop a story or do anything. You just—you basically went there. You sat the whole time. You ate. You wrote what the score was, and then you drove back and collected your mileage check. It really was not a—you know—not a, a bad night. So, one August in the dog days of summer. Um, there was a new minor league baseball team in town, the Bowie Bay Sox, who you might imagine would play their games in Bowie, Maryland. Except they didn't, because they didn't have a stadium in Bowie, Maryland yet. So for the first year of their existence, they played in the old Memorial Stadium that the Orioles used to play in, because the Orioles had just moved into Camden Yards. And so this was, again, extremely exciting to people like me. I got to drive all the way to Baltimore, I got to go to a game in Memorial Stadium and cover it from the press box there. And of course there was nothing to do but watch the game, eat their food, write my silly little story and and go home. So one time I had gone to the Bowie Bay Sox game uh, and in this particular game, uh, Bowie wound up winning, but what happened was the the starting pitcher for Bowie uh, went the distance, he threw a complete game, Uh, he uh, only gave up I think one run in the game And he did a good job, except the thing was he gave up a ton of hits. And he walked a bunch of guys. And there were runners on base in every single inning. But every single inning he seemed to work his way out of it. And he didn't give up a lot of runs. And and the Bay Sox wound up winning the game. So I, of course, have all game to think about what I'm going to use my precious couple of column inches for here. Uh, And I thought of this really clever lead because I'm in Baltimore now. And so I wrote so-and-so, Bowie Bay Sox pitcher, spent more time in hot water tonight than a Chesapeake Bay soft-shell crab, but nonetheless only yielded one run, and Bowie went on to win, you know, five to to two over so-and-so. So, So of course, our editors back at the Washington Post review this uh, before they actually print it, because it's, of course, it's a nothing little story, and it winds up on, you know, page C12 of of the paper, and, and hardly anybody reads it. And that's exactly what happened, and my story went in just like that. A week and a half later, I get my Sunday edition of the Washington Post. The edition that goes out all across the country, all across the world. And as I am perusing it, section A, the letters to the editor, the op-ed page of the Washington Post, at the top, there is a giant graphic of a crab, And the lead letter to the editor is from somebody who says staff writer Craig Milston obviously doesn't know anything about cooking soft-shell crabs (laughs) (laughs) because they don't spend any time in hot water at all. They are steamed, not boiled. And what's the matter with you people? And so their mom was the pinnacle of my journalism career.
0: Christopher Bond told us the story of how his life changed after his aunt temporarily fostered some puppies. Here's Chris.
3: This is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. So I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there and I'm going to tell you about, how I had it up with this diva little, not little white shepherd Husky that now runs my entire life. Um, my aunt volunteers and helps out with a local dog rescue. She also has a print shop. I used to print T-shirts for. Her. So I'm hanging out one night. I'm printing T-shirts, and she gets a phone call from the rescue. Hey, we have a problem. We pulled too many dogs. They only pull dogs that they have fosters for because they don't have a they don't have a shelter. The dogs, most of them, come up from Alabama. They go to a foster home until they get adopted. Well, they go down to the shelter. And there's a mother and puppies that were dropped off overnight that the shelter did not have room for. So their choices are, would you like to take these dogs? Because we don't have a place, we're going to have to put them down. What are you going to do? You pick up dogs that you don't know where they're going, and you head back to Pennsylvania, and you figure it out on the way. So I'm printing T-shirts. My aunt gets a phone call. Hey, we have these dogs. My aunt goes, sure, I'll take three puppies. So, printing t-shirts, printing t-shirts, they show up with these puppies. I'm a very irresponsible person. I t- I'm, well, I'll be 40 next month. I'm a man-child. I buy toys. I live by, well, I have roommates, but I take care of my bills and then think basically about myself. I'm not responsible enough to have a dog. Then they show up with these dogs. They're pulling the dogs out of the crates and they pick up this little white ball of fluff And they go, here, take this inside. And I get this dog, and I pick her up, and she nuzzles in against my beard, and she licks my ear, and she falls asleep, and I start crying like a little bitch. (laughs) So, as I'm sitting there holding this dog and trying not to sob in front of all these women, (laughs) because I'm tough, I have tattoos and a shaved head, I um, I talked to my aunt, I'm like, how do I take her home? <laughs> She's like, well, you have to apply. They didn't know these dogs were coming, so they didn't have applications on them yet. So I already had one up on any other asshole that was gonna try and take my dog. <laughs> so I apply that night. The next day they call me and they are not nice. So I immediately start questioning why I felt like I deserved to have a dog. <laughs> And then they call my friends that I put as references, and they talk me up. And eventually, they call me back, and they're like, okay, you can take her home, but you have to have, a, uh, you have to do a meet-and-greet with the foster. Well, the foster is my aunt. <laughs> and little did they know, but I had been spending every extra minute that I had at my aunt's house the previous week playing with this dog. So I mean, they, they even put my name for the dog on the website because I told my aunt that dog's name is gonna be Ghost. So I bring her home and uh, of course, I mean, I'm uh, I immediately changed like, I have to take this dog out. I got to keep this dog alive. Holy shit, I don't know how I kept myself alive. So it, it, everything's worked out. She's very headstrong. She, uh, which is perfect for me. She has me wrapped around her little finger, or paw. Um, she, we have our routine. We go up to bed. She jumps in the bed and picks her a spot, and I try and curl into the bed around her not to disturb her. Um, I have to give her a treat before bed, otherwise she gets mad at me and sleeps on the floor. <laughs> Makes me question how much of a terrible person I am if I withhold treats. But... At the end of the day, like I, I, it's, next month will be three years that I've had her, and I can't imagine life without her.
0: Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Dawn Kataya, who told us about getting divorced, getting a Camaro, getting a much younger boyfriend, and eventually getting a dog. The boyfriend has just moved out of the area, and this is Dawn's last York Story Slam before she moves out of state, too.
4: Okay, so three summers ago, I woke up, and I was completely insane. I'd been married for 18 years, and I thought, I gotta go. I told my husband. He was a little shocked. He's a good guy. We just were not good together. And I moved out in less than two weeks. I was 45, I got an apartment, I bought a Camaro. I have been driving a Nissan Versa for about seven years. But I, after I moved out, I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, I, I, need, a, I need a muscle car. So then I, I bought a muscle car. A Couple of months after I left, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine at a local restaurant and we were discussing dating and how young I could go. So, <laughs> We determined that 25 would be the, the lowest that I could go because <laughs> under that, it would be kind of disgusting. And so she sees this guy who's a waiter at the restaurant. And she's like, oh, that guy's kind of cute. And he looks like he's older than 25. So because I was completely insane, I'm like, hey, you, come over here. So he comes over because he has to because he works there. <laughs> and I'm like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 28. And I go, oh, I can sleep with him. Only I didn't say sleep. And he laughs, and then um, I say, have you ever had sex in a Camaro? So we joke around a little bit. I give him my phone number. I go home. I go to sleep because I'm 45 and I'm tired. He calls me at like 11. I'm like, who is this? He's like, oh, it's Mark from the restaurant. I'm like, oh, you called me. That's awesome. So Mark and I start dating, and just to give you the very Reader's Digest version of this, and I'm dating myself by saying that, um, he was a complete disaster when I met him. He was on probation, he owed like $8,000 in costs and fines, he had to do 100 hours of community service, he had three DUIs and no driver's license, and I was completely crazy, so I was like, I can totally fix you, this is perfect. (laughs) So, to tell you the story of our relationship would take too much time, but suffice it to say, the first year was a little bit difficult, There was some fighting, I threw him out, he left, there was some crying. But after about a year and a half or so, things calmed down. And so one day he says to me, we need to get a dog. I'm like, no we don't. I'm like, you and I, we can barely take care of ourselves. What are we gonna do with the dog? They smell, they're disgusting, they're always trying to French kiss you. I hate dogs, I don't want a dog. No, 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 we need to get a dog. So we go through the whole process of getting a dog. I, we find some dog in like Alabama and they drive it up here. And we go and get it in the middle of the night in Carlisle at some truck stop. And she, her name's, we name her Foxy and she's like eight pounds and she's like this little terrier thing and she's absolutely adorable. And I begin to have anxiety as soon as we get her because I say to him, like, look, look, I'm 17 years older than you. Like, this thing that we got going on here is not going to last forever. And what's going to happen to the dog? What's going to happen when we break up? Like, who's going to get the dog? And he's like, well, I'm going to get the dog. I'm like, no, you're not going to get the dog. I'm going to get the dog. I paid for the fucking dog. I'm going to get the dog. So my sister thinks it's funny because I hated dogs. And now all of a sudden, I'm completely obsessed with Foxy and I love her. So, fast forward to this summer, and Mark and I, we very amicably split up, and he is now uh, attending college in another state, and it was very difficult for me, uh, but it was a very good thing for him and a good thing for me as well. and. As we're leading up to this breakup, uh, you know, knowing that he's moving and so forth, we're still living together and everything, and I'm having these anxiety attacks about the dog, and I keep thinking she's going to miss him so much. Like, she's what's going to happen? And and then I start thinking about like what if I start dating someone and then she loves that person more than she loves Mark? Like, how terrible will that be? And I'm calling my sister, I'm like crying, sobbing over this. And she's like, "Uh, that's called transference. And you're just doing that because you're worried that you're gonna fall in love with somebody and feel like you're betraying Mark and has nothing to do with the dog. And I'm like, what are you, like a therapist or something? Like, stop psychoanalyzing me. I'm worried about the dog. Like, what about the dog? And she's like, the dog is not even going to remember Mark. She's not even going to care about him. So I'm like, all right, are you sure about this? So Mark has since left, and Foxy seems to be completely fine, and she doesn't seem to miss him at all. But I am still always worried about it. But even though I was worried about getting the dog and worried about what would happen when he left, she really is the greatest gift that he ever gave me, and I'm very happy we got her.
0: Our next event is scheduled for Tuesday, September 20th, when we'll draw 10 names from the hat to tell stories based on the theme, Lessons Learned. Remember, you can purchase tickets on our website, YorkStorySlam.com, and while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at York Story Slam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at TheBeerAce.com. This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Roy Pitts Brewing Company. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David
4: Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.